Dear God, I just pray that you give us peace in our hearts this morning, God. Peace in knowing you. God, that you're first and foremost. That as the old song says, when we turn our eyes on you, the things of this world grow strangely dim. I pray for us this morning, God, that that will be the case. That as you get magnified, God, as you get highlighted, as you get focused on, God, that all else would be small details that don't matter as much. God, we give you this morning, we give you this time. Pray that you be glorified in our hearts, God, in our worship, and in our virtual service this morning, God. Pray in your name. Becca, thank you very much for just an incredible time of worship and response to the Lord. Well, church, it is uh, this is an odd time, right? Uh, we've kind of stated that a few a few times, uh, and yet we are here uh, in the comfort of your own home, and we are going to continue to worship God as we jump into his word this morning, continuing to declare the truth of who God is. Um, so we have been going through, if you've been with us the last few weeks, um, if you're online this morning and this is your first time, you saw the invitation on Facebook and you're like, sure, you know, if you're here for the first time, we want to say good morning, welcome to you. The gathering has been in a series called Revival. Uh, and this is a, a, a series where we have really examined the heart, the heart of God and his heart for us. And, you know, it's such a timely thing. I, I, I don't know about you, but as I was just kind of preparing, particularly in the last two days, um, just this idea of revival and in the midst of chaos and in the midst of uncertainty, Man, do we need God to come and to pour out his spirit upon us. We need a fresh filling of him. Uh, and so uh, just to give you a li little bit of a, um, hey, here's where we have been, particularly last week. It's going to set us up really well for where we go this morning. And so la last week, Mike preached on a heart that is fully devoted to God. And one of the verses that just came to uh, the surface for me, Proverbs 4, 23, it says, above all, guard your heart, right? For everything that you do flows from that. Above all, guard your heart. Uh, let's recap a few other important truths that Mike shared with us last week, again, to kind of lay the foundation before we move uh ahead this morning. So last week we stated that, first of all, God's heart is for himself, right? God's name is jealous. He is a jealous God. He doesn't want to share his glory with anyone else, right? And so he, first of all, is for him himself. Second of all, God's heart is for us. His heart is for you and it's for me, right? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave, right? So God's heart is first of all for himself, his glory, 
His heart is also for us. Here's the thing, though, with those two facts, right? Those aren't just like nice truths or facts or things that we can just simply cognitively agree with. Those things we must personally respond to with our heart, with our mind, with our soul. If those are true, if we declare those, we must personally respond, okay? I don't know if Mike wrote this next, next one, but he said it, and I wrote it down because it was so good. He said, God is on the glory train, and he's not stopping until he has your whole heart. God is on the glory train and he's not stopping until he has your whole heart, which means is that God is a pursuer, right? He pursues us. I once heard the difference between Christianity and the rest of world religions is this, is that the rest of the world, those who seek God, it is man pursuing God. But in Christianity, it is God who has pursued man. It is God who has pursued us. And so finally, we looked at David, right? And he was marked as a man after God's own heart. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to be in several passages. So I want to encourage you right now to grab the Word of God. If you don't have it in your lap now, go ahead and do that. We're going to be jumping around in a couple passages and it's important to, to have that because we don't have a screen right and so go ahead and and have, and, and have that avail available to to you now but we're going to take a generational step forward and we're going to look at King David's son Solomon right we've already declared that David was a man after God God's own heart he pursued God with everything we're going to see this morning that Solomon, David's son, we're going to call him uh, the half-hearted king, right? Um, so if you're going to take notes this, more, this morning, here are two timeless truths that will kind of frame our time, okay? The first one is this, is a divided heart brings dis destruction. A divided heart brings destruction. And the second one, the second truth this morning is that the pursuit of our own glory will suffocate our pursuit for his. The pursuit of our own glory and attention will, per will suffocate the pursuit of, of God in our own life. Okay? Uh, and we're going to walk through three points to kind of give us some structure this, mor this morning. The first point is a charge and a choice. Okay? A charge and a choice. That's point, point one. Point, point two is a change of heart. And then the third and final is more of a question. It's how is your heart? Okay, so a charge and a choice, a change of heart. And then we're going to look at, hey, how is your heart this morning? So to give you an illustration, I want to use the game of basketball. So one of the shoes that has fallen in the last few weeks, uh, because it just seems like life has been canceled, right? I mean, it just seems like everything, like everything has stopped. And um, obviously not a priority, not on like the top of the scale, but one of those things that I just look forward to every March is, of course, March Madness. And of course, they cancel that. So 
No basketball, no tournament, no fun. Uh, but one of the things that I love about basketball and the dynamics of the sport, uh, and you may have heard about this, it's called essentially the tale of two halves. Okay, so picture this. You have, have, have a team. They come out on the court. The ball tips. The game is going. And this team comes out hot. I mean, they are not missing a single shot. They're unified. They're on the same page. Great passes. Great assists. They're, they're just playing out of their minds. They're doing an amazing job. And at halftime, they're up big. I mean, they're doing so well. As a fan, you're kind of like, could it get any better than this? This is so good, you know? Well, halftime comes. Team comes back onto the floor. Second half starts. And uh, after a few minutes, you're realizing like, uh-oh, Houston, we have a problem. Something has gone terribly wrong, right? This is not the same team that literally just played a half ago. They're not passing well. They're not defending well. They're making mistakes. They're just blowing it everywhere. They're not making shots and you're scratching your head like, who is this team? And they end up at the end of the game just blowing it and they lose terribly. It wasn't the team the first half. You didn't even recognize them. I can't think of a better illustration to characterize the life of Sol Sol Solomon, the, 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 the king who had a half a heart. Okay, The first half, which we are going to see, he's pursuing God. He's after God. And then somewhere in between, he just, he loses his focus. He, he loses his heart. He turns away. And we're going to look at that. And by the end of his life, his kingdom is, is falling apart. He's lost his, 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 his way. So we're going to take a look at Solomon this morning. So point one, point one, okay? A charge and a choice. If you would, turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 28. 1 Chronicles chapter 28. I've actually asked Joe to read our passages for us this morning, just to mix it up a little bit. Um, to give you a little bit of context, 1 Chronicles chapter 28, this is at the end of David's life. Okay, He is giving a charge to the people of God, and he is declaring... Hey, Solomon has been chosen by God to be king. And one of the largest tasks uh, that I was not able to, to do, nor was I asked to do, but Solomon has now been asked to do, is not only be the, the next king, but he has been charged by God to build the temple. Okay, so 1 Chronicles chapter 28, we're going to read verse 6 and 7, and then we're going to skip down and read verses 9 and 10. So, Joe, would you come in and read uh, those verses for us this morning? All right. So, chapter 28 in First Chronicles, starting in verse 6, says, He said to me, It is Solomon your son who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom forever if he continues strong in keeping my commandments and my rules as he is today. And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Be careful now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary, 
Be strong and do it. Thanks, Joe. Solomon was given a charge by God. He's given the charge to lead the the people and to obey. Okay? Uh, we're not going to turn turn there, but if you skip ahead to Second Chronicles, we see that God uh, is doing some crazy things in Saul, Saul, Solomon's life. He starts the first half of his life uh, as king, and he it's going really well. So chapters one through three. Uh, I would say is marked by humility, okay? Solomon, out of the gate, is a humble king, young king. He's about 20 years of age, and he is a young king, but he has this humble posture before God. And this crazy question that God asks him, he says this in the first few chapters. He says, Solomon, what do you want me to do for you. What, what, what do you want? Now just stop here for a second. Imagine that God gives you a dream, a vision, or just appears, okay? And he says, hey, Joe, Becca, whoever it is, hey, what would you like? The God of the universe, okay, is asking you anything that you, you want. It, it, it's yours. God recognizes the humble posture, and, and He says, "I, I, I want to grant you whatever you, you, you want." And just think about all of the things that you could probably ask for, right? But of all the things, Solomon, do you know what he asks for? He asks for wisdom and knowledge. Imagine that. What a humble thing to ask for. Again, he could have asked for anything, right? But he asked God, you know what, God, could you give me wisdom and knowledge to lead? That is the humble king that I want to be. Well, because of his humility, right, God <coughs> gives not only wisdom and knowledge, one of the most humble uh, kings, one, one of the wisest human beings to ever live. So God gave him that. But above that, God said, you know what, because of your humility, because that you asked for wisdom and knowledge, I'm going to give you everything, anything else. Uh, wealth, riches beyond imagination, okay? And so not only did Solomon receive wisdom and knowledge, but he also, he, he received everything else. He became... Uh, the, the most wise and the most wealthiest king maybe to ever li li live. In, first, in fact, verse 12 says, uh, bef be from any king before you or after you, you will be the wisest and the wealthiest. And it was because of his humble heart, the way he started out, that God said, I'm going to bless you, Solomon, in the, the, this way. In chapters 3 through 6, we see that Solomon not only begins to build this incredible, magnificent, glorious temple structure for God, but he completes it. He fulfills the promises that he said, I will go and I will build a temple for God. In chapter 7, we see the dedication of the temple. It's really important here. Chapter 
7. Joe is going to come and read here in just a second. But it's in chapter 7 where we see a dream and a vision that God gives to Solomon. And this dream and this vision is incredible. But it's in this dream that we catch this famous verse or verses, right? It's a dream where, where God is basically saying, hey, uh, this is a time to repent. This is a call to, to repentance where we see those words. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, right? And pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear, I will forgive their sins and I will hear their, their, their land. It's in that vision that Solomon hears the call for his people corporately to repent. But what's interesting is that it's not just a corporate call, right? This vision that Solomon receives, but it really starts with him, the king. God is trying to get after Solomon's heart to say, hey, this call to repentance, this revival of the heart that I want to do, it's not just a, hey, it's all about us, but Solomon, it must start with you. And it's cling to, it's connected to this charge. Here's what I'm calling you to do, but it's connected to a choice as well. So Joe, would you come and read verses 17 to 20 from chapter 7? All right, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, starting in verse 17. And as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, doing according to all that I have commanded you, and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne, as I covenanted with David your father, saying, You shall not lack a man to rule Israel. But if you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments that I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you up from my land that I have given you, and this house that I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight, and I will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. I want to just quickly talk about three uh, historical timeline points related to <laughs> the verses that Joe just read. The first one is this. Did you catch it? God gives the people, and he gives Solomon specifically, a choice. As we look at the Old Testament specifically, God has a history of giving his people a choice. I immediately think of Deuteronomy 30, where it's at the end of Moses' life, right? And God speaks to him and then Moses to the people. And Moses basically says this, hey, before I go, okay, please, please know I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. And he says, choose wisely, right? He said, choose life so that it may go well with you. Our God has a history of giving us a choice, setting forward, hey, here is the vision. Here's what I want to do. Here's, here, here, here's who I am. I want to dwell with you. But just know that there's a choice in this because if you choose to go the other way, there's going to be consequences. There will be destruction. The second point here that, that I want to make tied to this is don't you see just the kindness 
of, of God. It's the kindness of God here to say, hey, I'm willing to lay all of the cards out. Right? I, I, don't, I don't want you to go down this path. I don't want you to turn from me. Right? How, how kind is it of, 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 of God to, to do, do that? And for Solomon, it was almost kind of like a prophetic word, a warning to say, Hey, Solomon, this temple that you built, I want to dwell here. I want to dwell with my people. But the reality is, is <laughs> I've also told you what's going to happen if you decide to turn. You know, God didn't have to do, do, do that. And he certainly doesn't have to do that with you and I. But the kindness of God to give us a choice to lay it out and to say, if you follow me, if you pursue me, it's going to go well. And you get to dwell with me and I get to dwell with you. But if you turn, if you decide to go the other way and do your own thing, it's not going to end well. Destruction, right? The third point that I want to make, make, make here is more related to when this vision occurs. Okay. This dream vision, right. Of if my people who are called by my name, all of this is going on after the dedication, after the temple has been built, they're dedicating it to, to the Lord. It's this glorious celebration, sacrifices, thousands upon thousands have been, been, been made. And we're at this crucial point. And I can imagine, we don't read it here, but I can just imagine Solomon in the midst of the wealth, in the midst of this glorious moment. He says, hey, God, isn't this great? I mean, look at everything that I've done. Look at, look at the temple that I've built for, for you. Look at all the sacrifices that we've, we've made. This is all for you, God, isn't it? I mean, the gold, the jewels, the, the adornment, it's a beautiful thing. Isn't this great, God? Look what we've done for you. Aren't you happy? And yet God knows Solomon's heart. He knows that it can be easily swayed. How it can be divided. Here is my point, okay? You see, God was more after Solomon's heart than his hands. God was after Solomon's heart more than he was his hands. It reminds me of Jeremiah 17 where it says, the heart is deceitful above all else. God knew his heart. In fact, I can imagine um, in a conversation we're not priv privy to, I can imagine God saying, hey, Solomon, I, I love this. I love this. I love this place that you have built for me, that you have dedicated to me, where my presence can, can actually dwell. In fact, verse 12, he says, I will dwell there. Verse 16, he says, my name will forever be established there. So will my eyes and my heart. But Solomon, be careful. Guard your heart because I desire to dwell there as well. See, this beautiful temple that was temporary, right? In the midst of eternity, God desired to dwell there. But the reality is, is that he wanted to dwell in Solomon's heart. 
That's where he wanted to be. He, he wanted to sit on that throne. And so it's this, this exchange of Solomon is so good. And yeah, I, I, I desire to be there. But Solomon, guard your heart because I know it can be easily, it can be easily swayed. I want to dwell there as well. A charge and a choice. So point two, okay? A change of heart. Sadly, we see that Solomon's heart <laughs> begins to turn. It begins to, to, to slowly turn away from following God, from pursuing God, from following the law and the decrees that God had put before him, that God had warned him about. Right? He laid it all out and Solomon quickly or I guess slowly began to turn away. The last passage that we're going to look at this morning is from 1 Kings 11. So would you turn there? Uh, 1 Kings um, 11, chap chapter 11. We're going to get, give you a second to turn there. And Joe is going to come and read the first six verses of chapter 11. All right, 1 Kings chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses, and three hundred concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Solomon allowed his once fully devoted heart to slowly deteriorate. He was no longer fully committed to the ways of, of, of the Lord. In fact, uh, a verse that comes to mind that you could really sum up this turning of Solomon's heart, this change of heart, uh, is actually from the book of 1 John chapter 2 verse 16 it says says this for all that is in the world the desires of the flesh the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the father but it's from the world see solomon was eventually swept away by the desires of his eyes the desires of his flesh and by his own selfish pride. He saw it and he wanted it, right? To, 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 uh, <laughs> to satisfy the appetite of his eyes and his flesh. And this verse says here, it's the pride of life too, right? I mean, Sol Solomon literally had everything. 
knowledge, wisdom, wealth beyond imagination. And so you can imagine, probably Solomon got to the point where he said, why do I need God? It was the pride of life. It was the temptation and the desires of his flesh and his eyes that, that eventually and slowly turned Solomon's heart away. And I, I, I want to be specific here, because when I say eventually, what I mean by is a slow fade. Okay? Um, almost all of the time, sin in, in our lives does not happen overnight. Right? It, it is a slow fade. It is one choice, and then the next choice, and then the, ne the next choice. And all of a sudden, we see a turning away from God, and we find ourselves in this very dark place where we are now king. We are now the center. <laughs> All we, we have is the desires of our eyes, the desires of our flesh, and the pride of our own selves, right? And so Sol Solomon, as we read, it wasn't this, oh, it just hap happened. No, this was a slow deterioration, a turning away from God. The third point that I have for us this morning is the question, uh, so where is your heart? How is your heart? We recognize that God also gives us a charge. He gives us a choice, right? We know in his, his word Okay, that he has so much for us. And he instructs us to live a certain, 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 certain way in the light of his love and his salvation. But he gives us a choice as well. And, and I don't know about you. I don't know where you are this morning, where your heart is. But uh, it can be easily swayed. That we can easily make choices in our lives where we begin to turn. Here's the point that I want to make as it relates to our own hearts, okay? And please hear this. I can't help but think that sometimes our half-heartedness towards God is not just the pull of sin, okay? We, we can all agree with, with that, that sin is real. It is a ferocious lion that is hunt, hunt, hunting for us but behind every turn. Okay, so our, our half-heartedness is not just necessarily the pull of sin alone. But I believe that it is because of a dim and watered-down understanding and knowledge of the beauty and the supremacy of Christ and everything that he has for us. Let me say it again. If, if you're in a play, play, place where you're like, yeah, I resonate. I, I'm just, I'm, I, I've, I've never either given my life to Jesus before, if, but if I'm honest, I'm, I'm following him, but I'm just, I'm, I got one foot in and one foot, foot out. I'm kind of riding the, the fence here. I would say it's not just solely because of the pull of, of, of sin, but I don't think you and I often have a, a right and correct and accurate view of the beauty and the majesty and the supremacy of Christ 
and everything that he has for us. We just don't see clearer, clearly. We, we, we don't access everything that he has for us. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, beyond all else, okay, beyond all else, the one thing that I want to know, I want to know Christ. I want to know him. I want to have intimacy with him above all, all, all else. But we, we can be half-hearted sometimes in our approach to God. Yes, because of sin, but also because we just don't fully understand everything that he has for us and everything that we have in him. One of my favorite quotes, C.S. Lewis wrote, wrote the, this. He says this. He says, our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition. When infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Does that truth resonate with you this morning? That we are far too easily pleased. I'm far too easily pleased. Right? We just, we just go on fooling around with sin being half-hearted in our approach and our intimacy with Jesus because we can't imagine sometimes the beauty and the majesty and the access to the throne that we have with him. We settle for temporary hollow satisfaction in sin when all the while infinite and indescribable joy in Christ can be found every moment of every day. And we, like Solomon, are offered the presence of God and an intimate relationship with him. Jesus simply asks this, would you passionately pursue me? Would you come to a place of surrender where you don't just give me half of yourself, don't just give me the convenient part of yourself, don't just give me Sundays. Don't just give me life group. Don't just give me that two minutes on your way out to work when you're trying to catch a word of wisdom. Revival starts, church. And I'm preaching to, to, to myself, please, more than anyone else. Revival starts when we come to a place of surrender where we say, Jesus, you can have it all. Like C.S. Lewis said, I, I don't want to fool around in the slums in, in, in anymore. I want to have a clear view of everything that Christ has for me. And the reality is, is if you are a believer in Jesus, if you have trusted him to forgive you of your, your sins, you have access to everything that he has for you. So as we close our time out this morning, the 
question is, how is your heart? But I want to speak to two groups this morning. The first one, if you are here and you're on uh, this Facebook Live, and you're saying, uh, you know, I've, I, I, I've never, I've never come to the place of surrendering my, my life. I, I've heard all the things. I have uh, attended church. I've said all the things and done all the right things, but quite honestly, there's been a, a turning, right? I, I haven't come to the place of fully surrendering my life to Jesus this morning. I want you to know that whether you're staring at a phone or a laptop or whoever you're with, uh, you can come to him right there in the comfort of your, 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 your own home. It's between you and the Lord. You, you can bow your will and you can come to him and say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I need you to forgive me. I want to turn from what I see as best in my, 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 my life. The trajectory of my own life is not going well. And I want to do a 180 and I want to turn to you. I want to surrender my, my life to you. Would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sins? I repent and I come to you. I want you to know that you can do that this morning. If you're here and uh, you are a believe, believer, you are a Christ follow, follow, follower and you're here this morning, this morning and you're saying, you know, Paul, If, if I'm on, uh, honest, there's a, been a turning in my heart. Uh, there are areas in my life where I have, I've rather turned to the, the desires of my flesh and my eyes and my own selfish pride. And I'm hearing the truth of God's word, the call to repent, the call to come back. I don't want to end things the way that Solomon did. I want you to know this morning, it's not too late for any of us to come and to turn to the grace and the forgiveness and the love of God. To declare what we declared at the beginning of our time, it's not just us saying, God, I want to pursue you, but he's right there. He's pursuing us. So I want to encourage you, right, right where you, you, you are, we're, we're going to just spend a moment here as Joe plays. We have a closing song. But if you're here this morning, you're saying, yeah, this half-heart thing, I resonate with, it, with, with that. I want you to know that you can give him your whole heart. You can turn. You can come back. And like Solomon built a temple for God, we know that that was just a temporary one. But scripture says that you and I are the living temple of God. He desires to dwell in you. He desires to commune with you. And so in this quiet moment, moment I just I, I'm just gonna give give you 
a moment. I'm, I'm going to pray. And then we're going to close out with, with a song this morning. Jesus, we, um, we're grateful that you are a God who is full of grace and kindness, that you are slow to anger and you are abounding in love. And you desire that no one perish, but that all come to repentance and this call to Solomon thousands of years ago is the same call today. We as the church today have an opportunity to respond to you, to come back and to give not just half our heart, not just a quarter of our heart, but give our entire hearts, our entire lives to you. God, we declare that we need you today. We need you more than ever before. We love you. And Lord, as we close out our, our time in worshiping you and declaring truth once again, I pray that today would be the day where we begin turning back, a heart that is fully devoted in worship. We love you and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Oh, God.
sending out resources and posting them on our Facebook page to encourage you as a family during these times. Uh, so be looking for those on our Facebook page as well as any email updates that we will be sending out as well. We hope you have a wonderful Sunday. Get, get some rest and be blessed. We love you guys. Take care.